There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What is going on with college football? There's a, there's a lot going on. It's changing by the day. Ahmed Farid here with my friends Jack Collinsworth and Corey Robinsons. This is all things college football madness. We'll try to take all of the information that's been out there the last couple of days, last couple of weeks, what could be happening in the future, and put it all in one spot here, discuss it from uh, many angles, and there are financial angles, there are obviously health angles to this whole thing. I mean, this is such a big topic, Jack, that – now, we could probably talk for, for two hours here, and who knows? We may talk for two hours because there are so many things that go into actually playing a college football season that a year ago I would have no, had no idea that we'd be talking about here today. I guess the, the best place to start with this one is that so as soon as the first couple fell, the first couple in the Power Five fell, I got a text from a college coach that texted me and just said, Domino's. And mm-hmm. so that still has been lingering pretty hard in the back of my mind that there's still maybe dominoes waiting to fall. But he, it, I've really gotten an inside look at how challenging this has been for them to set up testing facilities. Somebody tests positive, try to quarantine players in hotels, try to keep them at the hotel and not intermingle with uh, other kids has just been a massive challenge. Um, and I don't think yeah. that's been fully reported. Uh, now, with that said, I give credit to the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 for buying time. I think massive decisions like this are typically made by people who want to buy as much time as humanly possible in hopes that the decision will ultimately make itself and that they don't have to make the decision. That's what's happening right now. I think everybody understands that a full cancellation or postponement is entirely possible, Nobody wants it to get there. I think it's more likely today than it's been the entire you know summer leading up to this. Uh, and we ho- all hope it doesn't get there. But most importantly, we all hope that we don't have some crazy outbreak uh, and that college kids get seriously sick. So, yeah, who knows? I think, you need a framework, ahead, though, right? You need, a, you need a framework, though. You know, you can't just buy time without any plan. Mm-hmm. Well, I just, well, yeah, that's what I they're think, doing. You know, I, I mean, think, that's what they're doing. What what I think, and, and you do hear that, right? It's like, what have you been doing this whole time? You've had months and months. This whole thing started March here in America, months before that uh, across the pond in, in Italy and, of course, in China. It's like, yeah, why do you not have a plan? But, Corey, I, I am a little sympathetic to the fact that we thought, I think a lot of people thought that we would probably be in a better spot now than we are, you know, as far as not just, you know, where the virus is and the amount of, the amount of cases that we have, but with testing and rapid response testing, I mean, I, I remember thinking in March, like by the time April, May, June rolls around, we're going to have these tests that take five minutes. You get the results back like that. And those will be all over the country. I mean, that hasn't happened. And so I would assume that at least some of these big college conferences were like, OK, we can't plan for everything because we have no idea what technology will be available to us when the time comes. And now the time has come and they're looking at it and being like, oh, wow, we're, we're not quite there yet. So, I, Corey, I am a little sympathetic to to some of these conferences if they don't have a plan set up because they had no idea what the technology was going to look like now. That's a fair point. But I will say, I think in, in March, if I'm trying to remember the time, everything's just been like a like a twilight zone. But I think it was March, April when Fauci was saying that uh, there's going to be a second wave in the fall. 
So we knew generally that it wasn't going to be, you know, just clear fields. It was going to get harder later, and particularly during college football season. And we also knew that a vaccine wouldn't come for a year or two at the very fastest. So there were going to be some contingency plans that you have to put into place. I think what Commissioner Adam Silver did in the NBA was really interesting because he was realistic. And remember, he was trained as a lawyer. So I think that he, out of all people, can really think through things and, and all their contingencies and understands liability extremely well. And I, and I think what the NBA did that was brilliant was they said, we're going to have a bubble and we're going to take it day by day, week by week. And a, But the bubble itself is the framework that we can adapt with in real time. And I don't think mm -hmm. the conferences had that idea. They said, we're just going to wait for all the information to come in as it comes in. And then yeah. we'll release the schedule. And then, oh, wait, we released the schedule three weeks before the season's supposed to start. You know, that's the difference. Here's, yeah. here's the big question. Can amateurism and can 2020 coexist? And so far... It all started with, I mean, so you go to the Ivy League, really, who said, no, yep. it can't. And since then, it has been the slow domino effect. And many thought that the, the final remaining three would have immediately fallen. And now we're seeing the buy time process. But this happened today. And I think it's important to, as this evolves in 24-hour cycles and really more like 24-minute cycles, it's important to get the most recent. Uh, and so this was from a, a Zoom call today. The member of the NCAA COVID-19 advisory panel, Dr. Carlos Del Rio, said that we have a serious problem. I feel like the Titanic. We have hit the iceberg. We're going to try to make decisions of when the band should play in the middle of that. I mean, that's a pretty sobering statement. Making decisions about when the band should play and you've already hit the iceberg. So on the exact same call, Brian Hainline, who's the NCAA's chief medical officer, says that they are aware of 12 cases of myocarditis which is a rare inflammation of the heart in athletes. Uh, so then you have Dr. Colleen Kraft who added, so this is just their entire panel, I think one case of myocarditis in athletes is too many. So as you have everything circling around, the big question was, what was it that caused the first two conferences to shut down? And I think that's the answer. I mean, you, you even heard in Sankey's statement, what caused them to shut down? We look forward to hearing it. I think we heard it on the Zoom call today. Where it goes from here, that's the question. It's fascinating, Jack, because I, I don't think that uh, we're not great as humans at, at mitigating risk or finding risk and evaluating risk and, and properly calculating it, especially when it's something as new as, as COVID-19 here. And we're learning about it as the weeks go on. We, I mean, these conferences just learned about the heart condition that, that you just mentioned there. Um, but it's it's funny because I think COVID-19 coronavirus is not a risk that we're willing to take. We're not comfortable with that risk right now because I was reading this story uh, on the on the Mercury News website that's over there in the Bay Area. And it talked about here, let me bring this up. Uh, it said COVID-19, according to multiple studies, can cause heart damage, just like you mentioned right there. But football, according to mountainous evidence, can cause brain damage. And so these are all risks. You know, there's a risk to actually playing the game of football. And I don't I wouldn't say we're comfortable with those risks overall, but we build them in into part of the calculation of playing a season. We know that if we play a season, there are going to be some players that possibly go down the road to developing CTE. That's just a reality. And we have come to the conclusion as as a country, for the most part, that that's a risk that football players have been willing to take. We just, this is so new with COVID-19. We may look back in, in five years, Corey, and say, you know what? We overstated the risk. You know, the, the heart condition wasn't that big of a deal. It was a slight, um, 
a condition that lasted just a few months, and we were overly cautious with that. I think that is uh, that is that is possible. That is possible that we look back and say that we were too risk averse with uh, with COVID nineteen and college football players, but we just don't know that. And I think that's where the issue is for some of these conferences. Delaying it, more information is always good, but I think that the risk of what are we dealing with here and not knowing that explicitly is the biggest thing that you have to overcome. Yeah, I think when it comes down to to risk, you have to understand what you're getting yourself into. Um, and I think the uncertainty that you highlighted, Ahmed, is the is the the key point here is that people just don't know. It seems like every month there's something else that's coming out. Mm-hmm. And when you're trying to plan something, you know, basically you're you're steering the course, go back to the Titanic example of a giant ship that's a billion dollar industry, right? Um, you don't just do that flippantly. So that's, that's why I think that a lot of these administrators are trying to think about it and say, okay, well, I'd much rather be overly cautious than Correct. just jump into something and just go willy nilly and hit icebergs left and right. I'd rather just say, guys, we're not going to, we're not going to go today, you know? And then if that costs us billions of dollars or millions of dollars today, at least we'll live to fight another day. And I think what the pandemic is showing us is that and we can get to this later, is that there's a discrepancy, a huge discrepancy between schools with resources and schools without resources. And um, just like states can handle different, you know, the, the spread of COVID differently, so can conferences. And we've seen the Big South shut down. We've seen the MAC shut down. And we've seen, obviously, the Pac-12 and Big Ten say we can't do it this fall. But if the ACC thinks they can move forward, then, you know, then then they'll be able to do that with that, with that understanding of risk and the resources that they have available. So I think it's kind of like a it's a really tough question to answer, I think, on a federal yeah. level. You know what I'm saying? Like, how does the NCAA even come in and say, we're going to do it this way? Because you're dealing with 20 different, 30 different scenarios. So, with, yeah. the, with the, I mean, you, so you're seeing the NCAA, right, say that this is the NCAA doctors. And you understand the NCAA, they're not making the ultimate decision on for Sankey, uh, for, you know, the ACC commissioner, who seems like it's Trevor Lawrence right now. Uh, they're not making the ultimate decision. Uh, and so I, I think that the so we're all getting to the same point. It's it's liability. And so the question then becomes off of the liability point is that if you opt in or opt out, if you give the players the option to opt in or opt out, maintain their scholarship, all of those things, does that protect the conferences? Does that protect the decision makers? And I think the evidence that we've seen so far is that if something bad does happen, I mean, you're talking about, you know, COVID-19 effects over a lifetime for these athletes. If something does happen with a handful of athletes, are they liable or does the ability to opt in or opt out protect them in that? Now we've seen all these guys go with the we want to play. And we heard the Trevor Lawrence. Okay. And so I, I would ask you, Corey Robinson, if you were still the student body president and star of the Notre Dame football team playing wide receiver, and you were having these conversations like we're seeing here on the screen with Father Jenkins, what would you be saying? Would you be playing? I mean, where where would you try to position yourself here as a voice of a player and also somebody who cares about your health? Yeah, I was never I was never a star, but I appreciate that that uh, uh, smoke. But in but our I, eyes, I was, Corey, you have always been a star. Thanks, guys. Um, but yeah, uh, with this, it's a really interesting question. Obviously, when I was in a similar situation with concussions, I chose my health, right? So I think that kind of answers the question for me personally, but. The, the thing about college athletes is that, of course, they want to play, right? Think about your identities wrapped up in this sport. When I stopped playing, and I have friends who had to stop playing as well due to different injuries, it takes you years to figure out who you are without the game, right? Um, this is everything for a lot of guys. This is this is life. This is what you love to do. 
And you're willing, like you said before, to take risks. Like if I'm going out there and I, I could break my leg at any moment, I could, you know, deal with back issues or leg issues or brain issues for the rest of my life. Um, I think a lot of guys are saying, well, what's what's an additional risk? That's a 2% chance of dying. You know, like I, I would take that, I guess. And then I think that's what these guys are realizing. But I don't think you can, as an adult, as a Father John or as a Jack Swarbrick, you can't use that as, as, as a proper um, argument, I think, or reasoning to play the football season. You can't say our kids want to play, therefore we will play. I think that's yeah. irresponsible. I think as an adult, you have to realize just like, you know, with your own children or something like that, if they say, I want to go to this party or if I want to go to this school, I think you have to ask your children why and then help them think through things that they don't understand and say, you're 18 now, but think about this when you're 40. Are you really willing to have myocarditis when you're 40 years old? You know, right. just think about these things down the line. And, and that's an honest conversation that is heartbreaking because these aren't just kids, you know, like these are these are young men and women who have worked their whole lives for this opportunity. And you only get four years at it. So it's, it's a really hard question. But I would be talking about that with with, with uh, Father John and with Jack. I'd be like, look, can you just help us understand the financials here? Help us understand the health risk and just talk to us straight up. Yeah. Corp by core, you just hit the important point, which is you believe that it should be the administrators making the decision and not the kids, meaning that an opt in or an opt out should not be enough to protect the liability of the, the institutions making these decisions. Uh, and that in and of itself makes me nervous that we're going to have no college football this fall. Well, with right. without legal representation, I think if you're going to have an opt-in, opt-out, like those Pac-12 players said, at least let us have legal representation and have a lawyer like pay for us to, to do this the right way. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Hmm. You know, know it's, what if instead of what if instead of a, uh, a a virus sweeping the the world, it was just like this uh, pandemic of of lightning? I was kind of looking at some of the uh, the numbers on that, and it just speaks to just what you guys were saying here. It's like what what are there the odds of being struck by lightning in a year are one in one point two million. There are on average every year about twenty to fifty deaths per year in the U.S. because of a lightning strike. But in every football game, what do we know? If there's lightning, not even at the stadium, if there's lightning in the area, what do we do? We all run off the field. We go, it's not worth playing. We all say that's if, if the lightning doesn't go away, we might even have to cancel the game and try to play it in a, at another time. 
And so it's like that's one of those things where you look at the numbers of it and you go, it's very unlikely that actually someone would be struck by lightning. Probably more likely someone in the stands as a, as a fan would be hit than a, than a player down there. But we don't even question it. We're just like, uh, get off the field. Um, we, we don't even want to take uh, take that risk. And so and that's there are some players that could say, I want to play through it. And we go, no. We're not going to let you do that as an administration, as a, even though the risk is low, it's just a dumb idea. And so we're not going to let you do it. So I think it, it speaks to what you guys are saying is that there has to be an adult in the room that just says, we don't know the risks. We don't know if this is even the right decision, but we are going to make the decision because this is what we are paid to do. And in some cases paid a whole lot of money to do. And, and I think it kind of goes into the other side of that though, um, which I think we're kind of building to with the Trevor Lawrence talk there too, Corey. And I'd like your thoughts on what we saw here recently with uh, some U.S. senators coming up with these college athletes' bill of rights. So I think in a lot of cases, coronavirus hasn't changed the world in a lot of ways. I mean, the world is changed, but I think it's accelerated changes that were going to happen anyway. And so this was a conversation that we had been having about college athletes and what their compensation is and what it should look like and what rights they should have as people who make a lot of money for these universities. And so I think coronavirus has accelerated that conversation. And so I'm just curious, again, as a former college athlete yourself, what you thought when you saw the U.S. senators bring up this Bill of Rights bill uh, here today. I thought it was you know, really exciting. I think what we're realizing is I think college athletes, like I think all athletes in general are realizing the power that they that they have, uh, particularly in mass. You know, this this came up in 2014 with Northwestern. Um, the quarterback there led a, led a group saying we want to register as a, as a labor union. But um, it was interesting because the, the National um, Labor Union Re Review Board or the NLRB or whatever that would be um, the acronym. They were saying that a Northwestern's a private employer, so that would work, but it wouldn't um, work on a mass scale because what about state schools that are, that are not private employers? So it's interesting now because the argument is that if all Power Five athletes come together and say the NCAA is our private employer, you know, then you could actually have a labor union in theory, which is really exciting. And I think it, it obviously the name, image, and light, uh, likeness, that it, to me is a, is a non-negotiable because I remember, I'll never forget this, guys. When my freshman year, I was a true freshman, so I got to play. And that was the last year of NCAA, the video game. And I was so mm. stoked. I, you know, like growing up, I played the game. I wanted to be in the game. And then I was. I was actually in the game. And for me, that was like one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me. I'd go back to my dorm room and my roommates were playing as me in the video <laughs> game. And I was like, this is sweet. But I didn't even think about getting paid for it. I didn't even think that that was an option. Until later on, when I when there was a huge class action lawsuit and saying no, you got to play, you got to pay us for putting us in a video game, and that's when I started realizing, oh my goodness, there's a lot of money to be had here. And for guys like Everett Golson, who was my quarterback, who's not playing in the league, you know, he was the star quarterback in Notre Dame. His jersey was flying off the shelves. You know, he, I, you know, why why isn't he getting uh, compensated for that? So I think these are all really important questions that are coming at a great time uh, at, a, at a great time. So I'm stoked for it. What do you think, yeah. Jack? I don't think it's like the U.S. senators are getting out ahead of this thing. I, I to, to me, this is like at the very bare bones end of the line, have to do it before you get kicked off the end of the train, step in. Hey, guys, what do you think about getting paid off your name and likeness? Like, this is right. a, this is their last timing. And like from, from that standpoint, the whole pandemic hit it. just It was just a death blow to the NCAA and hold, trying to hold on to the fact that you're not going to pay athletes. You're not going to let them make money off their name, image, and likeness. Uh, this was just the final blow. 
And, and I, it, it really gets to a bigger discussion, which is about what's more important to colleges that you know need to have football season, the ability to hold on to some sense of amateurism or having a season in 2020. And I think that's now the decision that we're coming to. And we've seen the vast majority so far choose we're going to try to hang on to some sense of amateurism until, you know, the laws truly force us not to. And that's where we got. Yeah. I think that's such a such a good point. What what 2020 has done here is it's pulled back some of the curtain here because I, I think oftentimes in our mind, and we know it's not hundred percent true, but we like we like the fantasy that the reason that coaches coach is because they love the game. The reason that players play is because they love the game. It's because they want to, it's not because they need to. And so here is a year where it's probably smart not to if you don't need to. A lot of the sports, every sport, is trying to play because we've seen they need to. These players aren't playing just for, for the love of the game. They're playing because they need to play. This is how they they feed themselves, their family. They, they get right. paid very well for it. But you're seeing the same thing with college too, right, guys? It's like, are, are we trying to play a college football season because that's just what we want to do and it's our passion? And if something comes up and there's a reason why we can't, you know, we can't. But we, we would have rather done that. Or do we have to play it because we need to because there's so much money on the line and we're seeing that we have to play it in a lot of cases because we need to. Yeah, one one thing that I thought was really interesting is this concept of, you know, when you think about college football, you just think money, money, money. You're like, oh, my God, how much money are they making? But I think it's similar to when I was in student government at Notre Dame. People thought that we had this huge endowment. They're like, you know, you have a $10 billion endowment. Why don't we just put money towards something? But that's not how endowments work. You know, like money is earmarked. So you can't just say we have $10 billion. Let's just put a million towards this. And um, I didn't understand that until I sat down with the CIO of Notre Dame and actually had a conversation about how endowments work. And the same way, I don't think people know how the finances of college athletics work, right? That there's only a couple of sports that are revenue generating and that most depart- athletic departments in the NCAA aren't even um, net positive. Like I'm looking at here at the NCAA, the, the, um, the most recent data from 2018, and in all of D1 FBS, only 29 schools were positive net generated re- revenue. So I mean, like that's out of hundreds of schools. So that, that I think is interesting because with the revenue sharing deal that was outlined in that bill of rights, obviously when you're talking about like the medium of those schools was 6.7 million, but obviously that's just the median. Who knows how much you're actually talking about 40 something million all the way, you know, all the way down. So in, in Alabama and Notre Dame, all those places, yeah, there's a really strong argument. You need to have a revenue sharing agreement, but for, the vast majority of colleges, you're not even talking to them. So I think right. that it's interesting when you think about how one or two sports can pay for the rest of sports on that um, athletic department kind of slate. Just like if you think about with music, Britney Spears on the label pays for every other artist on the label. You only need one big pop star to pay for everyone else to put music out. So in that sense, I understand that like if you actually don't play college football, there's going to be repercussions and fallouts. For so many other athletes that spend their whole life being amateurs, you know, Jack, to be to back to your point, they, there is no path to the pros for them. And, that, and that's really unfortunate. Yep. It, well, then, then you get to the point about. So what if we take the football season here and we take the remainder of these three conferences, SEC, ACC, Big 12, and we just combine the power five and move it into the springtime? That's that now becomes the next. Is this possible? And let's be honest, mm-hmm. nobody knows what the hell we're doing. We're just asking a bunch of questions and seeing if there's any, you know, possibility that this could be a better alternative to where we currently are here's my fear with that you take all five of these power conferences you try to move them into the springtime uh you probably lose a handful of first round picks i don't think that's as big as people today are making it out to be i think the vast majority of people if you are a second round hoverer that thinks he would have been a first rounder at the conclusion of this season 
you are freaking playing. Like you're playing. The difference between making six hundred grand a year and making thirty million dollars, if you go, you know, up around the, the beginning of the first round, it's substantial. Right. And that's a four year difference when your earning potential is like on average three years. That's a substantial difference. So I do believe they will want to play spring football right before the NFL draft, and I think the draft could even be pushed back till June. I think the NFL would want to watch uh, this spring football play out. My fear is that Dwayne The Rock Johnson is going to start giving these top guys that people want to see play about 100K, 75K, whatever it is, and going, guys, this is your tryout. I'm going to have a way bigger TV audience. I'm going to leverage 190 million social media followers. And if you don't think he can do it, just go look at the Titan games and their ratings. People are watching the shit out of that. And so all he's going to do is apply football to that and then, boom, gasoline over Mm -hmm. the top. XFL was already working, man. I think if they move into the spring – it may be the final straw. I, I would really, really hesitate to do that. I the final that straw. The final straw being being what? That, that the, the final straw being that all of a sudden people might go. You're telling me I can just go make some money on yes. my path to the NFL? I think that's the next question. It's like, can the NCAA move fast enough to where a competitor like that comes in and does serious damage? I don't even know how it would work. I've tried to think about it, right? How how would you even do that? You'd play a spring a spring season, right? Yep. For what three months, and then what have have a couple months off, and then you're gearing up for the uh, the next fall season. Then too, it, that that just seems un, untenable to me right from the get go. Well, but see, this, this you know, I don't season. Do what? It's a short season. It's not like you're Shorter, playing a sixteen game sure. schedule and a big playoff. It's a condensed season. And they didn't play yeah. last fall. So uh, some people may argue that's better than the alternative of taking two years off football, right. year and a half off football. Yeah, football is all about recent tape. But my my issue with this kind of narrative that it's unsafe for players to play that many games in one calendar year. I mean, let's just think about this for a second. Normal, like the way it works normally is that you have training camp what, in August and yep. then you play until January if you're really good. And then you have two weeks off and then when a workout start for about a month and a half. And then and you then- start playing football again like spring ball was basically <laughs> right. training camp in march march 15th or whatever all the way to late april and then you have three weeks off and then you're back working out again but then, like what off time what off season yeah exactly but, but hey, the, are you are you getting hit in spring football is it full contact <laughs> yeah it's like it's like training camp the, the thing is this though this is where i get really confused is that in football you have to play three years right in in, in ncaa before you go play before you go to pro um but it's funny to me because you're saying that 18 and 20 year olds can only play a maximum of what 14 games, 15 games max. But then five months later, they can turn around and play four preseason games, 16 regular season games, and playoffs. You know, like yeah. To me, I'm like, this is that's 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 crazy. There's, yeah. Isn't it? When there's more money to be had, you can you can you can stretch the boundaries just a little bit more. Just yeah, like what happens more. in that year that is so different than like, you know, if you played spring and fall in the same year, you'd probably have the amount, same amount of games of the regular NFL season. I, I just yeah. think a lot of a lot of players will feel like they have they would have this season and still can improve their draft stock if you just let them play. If you give them any ability to go in front of TV cameras and show what they can do. I think most football players, you know, kind of ego, you need an ego with some degree to play football like. They believe that they are going to improve what they did last year. And so there's so many guys that are dying to still do that, that I think there's going to be a huge appetite for spring football if this thing continues the path it's going. Huge. But would there be – so how many of the top players do you think don't play? So you don't think it'll be that many? 
You know, you like of the top 100 players out there, how many do you think would say like, it's not worth it. The risk is not worth it. If I get hurt, I've already had enough tape out there. I don't need to play. So I can, I'll put it to you this way. If you're between, I mean, it's typically, let's say if you're between 15 and 45 on most big boards. So that means you're mid first rounder to mid second, mid to late second rounder. You're right in that zone. I mean, the difference between, (laughs) between being a mid second rounder financially and making whatever, about 600 grand, something like that in that range, mm-hmm. and being up around the beginning of the first round and making you know $20 million. You get up around the top five picks, $25 million. I mean, Burrow, I think, was like $25 million fully guaranteed, $30 million deal. Right. That's substantial difference there. Um, and, and that's positioning with regard to how the team's going to look at you over the long haul. They hold on to first-round picks. They give them more opportunities. You know, I mean, there's – there's a big swing zone there. Not to mention you can swing to round three or four. If you haven't showed anything on tape for a year and sure. a half, that's a hard yeah. thing to do. It's probably so guess the same with the combine too. Like anyone who'd skip a combine would probably skip the season. If you already know where you're going to fall, you know? So I, yeah. So I guess what I'm saying here is that I guess maybe the top, you know, 25 players might have reasonable expectations that they're already there. They're already in the top, you know, half of the first round. Some people think higher of themselves. And so you could even be 30 people that think they're in the top half of the first round. So they might think it's not worth it to play in the college football season. So then, you know, Jack, we get a, a college football season without the top 30 players in college football. What do we do? Are, are we psyched about that? Are we are we as excited about spring football then? I mean, I personally would be because I'm just obsessed with watching football. But I think from like a you know mass viewership standpoint, if you had a competing league that was throwing out 7,500K, 150K for big dogs and they're playing on Wednesday night and you have the Thursday league that doesn't have any of the big players or any of the big names and they've sort of been cherry picked away to the XFL. Like if you get to a position where they're dividing this apart and the Rock's putting his arm around kids and going, I live this life. I was, you know, on that line. I played in the CFL. I was a yeah. University of Miami right there guy. I'm going to give you the exposure. I'm going to make you the connections, and I'm going to pay you along the way right before the draft. Sounds like a damn good deal to me. I don't know. Well, yeah. I mean, but the thing about it this way, every year there's a different star in college football. You know, last yep. year was Joe Burrow. This year is Trevor Lawrence. Like, even at Notre Dame, every year we had, I had a different quarterback. Yep. So what, what I'm saying is that it, college, it doesn't matter who you are. Like they, they churn out new stars every year and a lot of them come out of the woodworks. You know, they're not all named Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. So I think that the season's going to go on and we're going to find new storylines and we're going to like, you know, there's going to be unbelievable support there. So I, I would not even worry about that. What I, I think love that's about a, your point. Yeah. I think that's a good, good point, Corey. I'm, I'm sorry I, I didn't mean that. to interrupt you, but, but yeah, that's, it's like we're in a lot of sports, we're rooting for the laundry as much as we are rooting for the person that's wearing that laundry. Right. And it's like the for uniform sure. and, the, and the tradition. And so I think that's as much, if not more uh, in, in college football, I think that's a that's a good point. So what do we think here? So we got so we got the Pac-12, the Big Ten, who have already said no fall football. Maybe we'll do it in the spring. We got the Big 12 just. uh you know, yesterday saying uh, this is Bob uh, Bowlesby saying ultimately our student athletes have indicated their desire to compete in sports. They love the season. It's up to all of us to deliver a safe, medically sound, structured, academic and athletic environment for accomplishing that outcome. So they're trying to give it a go. At least that's what they're saying uh, right now. Uh, they're going to do testing a couple times a week, it said, or maybe three times a week. Um, they got a plan for that. They've released their schedule, and so they're they're optimistic, SEC optimistic. Although Jack, um, the commissioner there, has 
has not been as you know gung ho. We're definitely doing this as maybe people anticipated. Uh, the yeah. ACC also in the kind of the the same boat. So how how do you see this this playing out? And from what you've heard from the commissioners so far, even the ones that as of right now are saying that we want to try to play college football in the fall. It's, it's a good interview to watch. I don't know if you guys have seen it yet. The Dan Patrick interview with uh, commissioner of the SEC. And it just gives you – you kind of feel like publicly right now, like his persona is just like all steams ahead no matter what. We are playing SEC yeah. football this fall. That's just what it feels like. And when you listen to him talk, I think he comes off much more cautiously hopeful. Like he's he's hopeful and he wants to give people hope and he wants to give his thing to the ninth hour uh, to, to figure out a way to pull it off and to make everybody happy but that he understands that at some point, if the medical experts look at him and go, listen, man, I don't know about all this, that they are going to have to pull the plug. And I think it's as simple right now as having, think about how easy it is to have two doctors have two different opinions. It's as easy it is for two journalists to have two different viewpoints. It's that simple. And so I think you, you truthfully have a case right now where the ACC, the SEC, the Big 12, have one medical opinion that's going, I think we can pull this off. And the rest are going, listen, you're out of your mind. I literally think it's that simple. It's two doctors, two different viewpoints, and two different outcomes. So and, what happens yeah. from there, we'll see. Yeah, and, and you got a lot of people out there that are going to say the th- same things that, that Joel Klatt ha- has said. And he's uh, tweeted out, I think he's got a yeah. YouTube video out there as well, is that you know if, if you're trying to talk about just totally safety, you know, just – just we want to keep these players as safe as possible. There's an argument to be made that the safest possible place for these players is not out, not playing football, going to a party, perhaps unmasked if they're not having to condition for uh, for a game coming up on Saturday. But Corey Joel makes the uh, the argument that the safest place for these football players is in these structures where they do testing. They've got trainers. And I mean, there's definitely an argument to be made for that. No doubt about it. I, I think mental health is something that's going to be a really big, important part of this season. Um, it's, I'm telling you, I, I, I think, like I said before, though, the, the schools with the resources who can afford to have everything almost like a bubble-like environment at their campus, you know, have academics, um, provide academic support for their student-athletes, um, yep. mental health resources, so they don't really have to leave. They can, can, every, can everything's in-house. Those are the schools that are going to are going to thrive, and and I think the other schools that can't provide that, uh, we're going to have a, we're going to see a lot of issues. Um, but I think one question that came up on Twitter that I thought was really fascinating is, how does this look with regular students, non non athletes? Mm. You know, if you're going to say we're going to test our athletes at Clemson three times a week, but then yep. the rest of the student body, good luck. Uh, we had that issue yeah. with the NBA, right? Where you're saying, okay, well, that's the NBA. How do they get so many COVID tests when no one else in the country can? But everyone was so sports hungry that they, they, they said it was fine. How's that look like in the fall? I think that's a huge, a huge point because I just pulled up a, a story from the New York Times talking about and we're, we're worried about these super spreaders that are apparently out there. I don't think we really know how to identify them, but there's some studies out there that say 80 percent of the cases have come from 10 percent of the people. And those people have typically, according to some studies, have been younger in their 20s, 30s and 40s, and they've been asymptomatic or never had any symptoms uh, to the disease, but they're spreading it somehow uh, to everyone else. And so I think that's another huge part of this whole discussion. I mean, it might not even be the biggest discussion might not be college football. Should they, shouldn't they? It might be, 
universities across the country, hundreds of them, should they or should they not be bringing students to, to campus, Jack? And I think as of right now, I got a little pie chart right here. This was, I found this on uh, the chronicle.com's website. It's like, looks like as of right now, you got 5% of universities in this country are going to go fully online, 14 hybrid model, 21% primarily in person, 2% fully in person. Then you got a lot of TBDs in there and trying to figure it out as we go. But uh, I think that's a huge shoe to drop here is what's going to happen, not on the football team when you bring them all back together, what's going to happen on this campus if you're trying to bring all these students back together? It is. And I, we, we started the entire thing by saying that, you know, the big decision makers are just trying to buy as much time as humanly possible. And and that's that is what's going on. They're saying if we have three more weeks, well, then let's use, you know, two weeks and five days, if that's what it yeah. takes to, to look around at this thing. And I think the viability of this season comes down directly to two things. One, the state of America, the state of the pandemic in America. Uh, where are the cases regionally? Where are they located? Uh, and then number two would be the ability to control all the students coming back to campus. And you guys are smacking that point um, right now. And, and if you listen to Jack Swarbrick for five minutes, you will gather that that is very important. Uh, when you try to intermingle athletes and students, what happens to our cases when we start testing these athletes every few days? Uh, and sometimes you have 50,000 people uh, coming back to campus at the same time. And I mean, we, we've learned that in, these in a town, kids, in a town, Jack, that that is a small town every other time of the year. Right. And so it's right. like they, the, the medical you know, structure of some of these small towns, probably not up to speed to, to, to try to treat a, a lot of people that come down with coronavirus. Sorry. Correct. Yeah. No. And you never want to paint um, a demo with a broad brush. But I think that it seems to me like you have had a lot of young people feel more invincible uh, than than perhaps people who are 70 plus. And, and so that has been a reality. And there's still people that are going to parties. There's still large social gatherings. We've all seen the pictures. We've all seen the videos. Are colleges able to suppress that enough to keep the numbers down? Are they able to come up with something where it's like there's no dorm parties, there's no house parties, some punishment, some something where they can keep that down? And if they do, I think there's a chance that we're, we can play this thing. And if they don't, I think it will get shut down before we get to September. So let's, I think that's a good place to, to end it. Let's just do a prediction, right? And so you kind of you kind of made your prediction right there on uh, a couple of contingencies, but let's get the, the real nitty-gritty prediction here. Uh, Corey, let's start with you. So right now, as of this taping of this podcast, we got three conferences that are trying to play football in the fall. What do you think is ultimately going to happen with the college football season this year? I think someone's going to find a way to play. Um, because look at it, like I like I said before, I, I look at it. What do you think? I mean, right now it looks like the ACC is in, in leading. I they seem very confident in their ability to contain this. So I would say that the ACC probably, in my opinion, would be the ones who who play a season this year. Interesting. Um, but look, but this is what this is what I'm telling you. I think it's very similar to the way the states have dealt with COVID, right? Where you say you're looking for the federal government to give you some sort of a guideline, but it's basically state governors making decisions, right? Some states have done well, some states have not. And I think what, like I said before, where we're learning about college football is that um, it's driven by the conferences, right? It's at the conference level and the conferences who think that they are in the place like geography, uh, geographically, like you said, Jack, where the cases are lower in my state. So mm -hmm. the environment allows me to play football. And in my region, um, 
we can actually play safer than others. And I had the resources to test every week or multiple times a week. And we had the resources to keep everyone in one spot and to charter planes and to charter buses. We can control this. Those are the schools that are going to play. And then the ones that can't do that are going to have to shut her down at one point in time. And then that, that's going to give the schools that can play a, a drastic competitive advantage. Yeah. So here's my here's my prediction, Jack, is that I think there will be a couple of conferences, two, maybe just one, but probably two, that will start playing football. Um, but I think kind of to the point that I made about the college campuses, I think the situation could get ugly and could become too untenable at some college campuses where cases are spiking professors. You know, you say, oh, cases are spiking. Are they are they having serious effects from it? These are college kids. They could be healthy. It's like it doesn't matter. Right. There's a, there's a lot of staff on a college campus that that is not in their 20s, in, in early 20s there and, and not in top physical condition. So I think a couple will try to play. I don't see any way we get through this uh, fall fall football season. And who knows? Maybe the spring comes. It may be a whole lot different. Who knows where we are with a with a vaccine? If if uh, if Russia has uh, has been able to to get their vaccine uh, up and running without uh, without any testing, if everyone's still standing who took it, maybe we can use that. But uh, I think in the fall, some teams will try to start. That my prediction. We will not get through a football season in the fall. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I to your point. What about a guy like Mac Brown? I mean, you think about just a college football legend who reemerges at North Carolina. If Mac Brown was my dad, I. I wouldn't feel great about telling him to go coach UNC this year. I yeah. probably wouldn't even feel good about it. So, I mean, I, I hear that point. And then to Corey's point about the regional stuff, I think it's huge. Um, but then you get to, I mean, look at look at the Big 12, Texas. I mean, that's the heart of it. Hmm. It's not like Texas has a good hand on this thing. Okay, let's bring up the SEC. Florida, that's a big place. Georgia. It's not like those two places have a good handle on it. They're trying to keep, still keep the lights on. And so it, it, it is – and it's not. I mean, it, you know, like you could make the case just as easily that the Big 12 should be shut down as you could. That the Pac-12 should have been shut down out there in L.A. You know what I'm saying? It's just like sure. that's that's where I go to. It's as simple as two doctors can have differing opinions and a decision maker can go. I prefer to hear that opinion because that's really what I want to do and go there. I mean, shoot, what's the NFL doing? Same thing. Yeah. Right. If They wanted to get right. a medical expert like Fauci who told them they had to do a bubble or no season then there probably wouldn't have been a season. like So that that's where this has now gotten to. And you can always sort of find a doctor to tell you something. It's that, mm-hmm. That's what you want to hear. It's just that there's the outward pressure. Now that you have two shut it down, the pressure is just going to be daily sitting. And any new cases or outbreaks just daily pressing down, where's the breaking point? I Gosh, I, I didn't think we were going to have to make it a, a, a hard thing. I, I know. I was like, I was like, you guys are kind of bailing on this whole prediction thing. I was like, I you guys don't understand a prediction. You kind of gave yours, Corey. You're like, oh, if this, you think it, it, they'll, it's they'll, them. You think it's they'll them. complete a season? Okay. I don't think they'll complete a season. Oh, they'll try. Okay. All right. Okay. That's I, think a halfway the, I think the smartest point that I've heard is that they will start the season of some kind. It's going to look super yeah. weird and that yeah. it's going to be really hard to keep the lights on. Yeah. I think I think so too, which sucks because all of us are huge college football fans. We're huge football fans, and all of this stuff sucks. And I think some of the times when you know media talks about the harsh realities of trying to play in this environment, you get accused of not rooting or rooting for uh, the cancellation of season. It couldn't be anything further from the truth for uh, these three people here because I would love to sit on my couch, watch college football, drink a beverage, 
and just enjoy it like there are no problems in 2020. But unfortunately, that's not the reality right now. Maybe it will be in uh, in 2021. Jack, Corey, that was uh, super informative. Uh, I think that basically kind of sets the, the table of where we are right now. We could probably do this a week from now and have 10 new topics to talk about. But uh, appreciate the, uh, the time talking to that. We'll do it again soon, guys. Cheers, boys. I hope we have football. That's all we can say. Yeah.